From Immersive Labs, this is Cyberhumanity. Hello all, I'm your host Chris Pace. Cyberhumanity is the podcast taking cybersecurity personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. I'm joined by three chaps who always update their firmware, Kev Breen, (laughs) Max Vetter and Paul Bentham. Hello. One time I updated my firmware on a BIOS and I had to take it into uni to do to the EEPROM because I'd brick tip that's the problem with updating your firmware too quickly <laughs> what's the most recent bit of firmware that you updated my cup oh that bloody cup uh, <laughs> every time <laughs> Kev, if i have to hear about the cup one more bloody time uh i think i and my headphones your headphones yeah updated the firmware in my headphones what kind of head hang on are these smart headphones i've got a jabra evolve 85 t's uh, no, 75Ts, and uh, it had a firmware update that brought in active noise cancellation, which is great. Oh, okay. nice. I do love it when vendors continue to update firmware and give you new features. It's really nice. Because mm, they could have just sold you a new pair of headphones, to be honest. Well, yeah, yeah that's, exactly. that's impressive. What about you, Max? Uh, well, I did my GoPro as well, which took a really, really long time because I got quite an old GoPro. What are you videoing? We're in, like, lockdown. The dog, I expect. I was doing time time lapse, <laughs> and and we've got a harness for the dog. You put See? the GoPro on. The oh dog. my god! <laughs> dog related. Mine was my Furbo, which is a treat tossing dog camera. Nice. Um, but that needs its firmware updated literally once a month. It's absolutely ridiculous. I do have a confession to make. Oh yeah. I bought an internet connected plug socket. See, you got him there, Kev. You got him. So I can say, hey, Google, turn my Christmas tree lights on. I do the same. It was basically because it was cheaper than one of those timer ones. Like What I really wanted was one of those retro ones where you like click in and out. (laughs) Click the little things out. That's what I really wanted. Like your nan used to have for putting big lights on when they were out. Or the thermostats, old school thermostats. Old school thermostats, exactly. All that kind of stuff. Hear it click off. Much more satisfying than hey, Google nonsense, but... Turns out this is basically the same price, so I figured oh, I'll go for the internet-connected one. Welcome to the 21st get, century. Get with 21st century. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. B always just turns it off at the plug. Uh, so defeated. It's just kind of pointless. <laughs> Emma and Google like hate each other. Oh, uh, that's the same. That's the same as Lucy and Google. Lucy insists that Google does not listen to her. It only <laughs> listens to me. And so regularly she call, calls Google a bitch. She's like, why do you listen to him, you bitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I come home actually and Natalie is shouting, having an argument with Google. Go, no, Google, I didn't want you to play this. <laughs> this is a phenomenon. Maybe it's gender bias. Maybe they just Google does just listen to, to us. Because it's pro- all programmed on the voice recognition or tech bros so it doesn't understand ladies <laughs> okay let's what well, i tell you what why don't we talk about some cyber stuff what do you think recent news this week that the international vaccine supply chain has been targeted by what ibm are determining cyber espionage um they have said that they've tracked a campaign aimed at the delivery cold chain so this is, and I don't know how many of you know um, a little bit about the the coronavirus Pfizer vaccine, which has some very it makes some very extreme demands about how it's stored 
um, when it's being uh, transported and then stored for use. And this suggestion is in this uh, research from uh, IBM that basically um, the, uh, hackers have targeted the supply chain for this cold storage coronavirus thing. But here's where here's where my spidey sense started tingling after reading this article. And this is a this is a BBC article. I should point out. I read it and it said this happened in September 2020. And I was like, hang on a minute. We didn't we didn't know there was a vaccine in September 2020. So does that mean that the hackers are so good that they knew there was a vaccine coming? And so they've targeted the supply chain or is the research potentially a little bit? uh let's be kind and say broad yeah it's tenuous i mean the, tenuous the more you, good work Kev. good work the, the more you get into this so i was the same it was like september 2020 that's fairly early for an attack cycle and it's phishing emails which doesn't really stand out as being like super highly targeted and then you get down to the list of targeted organizations in their precision targeting so i'll read the list out and see if you see if you get from this list to cold storage. Um, IBM says the wide target, the wider targeting, precision targeting included, the European Commission's Directorate for General Taxation and Customs Union, Ooh. companies involved in manufacturing solar panels, a South Korean software development company, and a German website development company which supports clients associated. <laughs> With pharmaceutical manufacturers. I'm sorry, but I have to say it. I'm not even going to call it intelligent. I don't know how to phrase this in a way that doesn't seem sound extremely derogatory. But the but the reality is what they've done is they've looked to see if there are attacks going on. They found a pattern in those attacks, which may be because they're from a specific threat actor. And then what they've done is they've identified that one part of that relates to this cold store cold chain or whatever they want to call it um and so now suddenly the the, the article is coronavirus colon like it's not it's this is not a correct this is not a coronavirus chris, story chris i'll tell you what this is this is confirmation bias which is exactly what yes, the pharmaceutical exactly. companies should not do they've they found a, a result and then got work back from there it really is because this comes from a security team set up at the start of the pandemic to track COVID-19 cyber threats. That's that they were charged with finding threats against cyber. And maybe they got to December and were like, we haven't found anything. Uh, we've got a, should we just tie these together? Or is that me being too? It feels to me like the, like the fact, Kev, that you said they set up this group to look for coronavirus stuff like when when the pandemic kicked off almost like there must be there will be cyber attacks and we will find them um did remind me a little bit of watching some of these um these murder detective documentaries and when you're stood back from it you can see all the biases at play like these these people who i mean don't misunderstand me who obviously generally genuinely want a good outcome and want to find a person who did a bad bad thing but so often they're so they become so fixated on one person or one piece of evidence or what. And before you know it, they're constructing this whole reality around, you know, an individual um, because that person is the that person is the prime suspect. Um, and that's not all, always yeah. correct. And I think that's kind of what's happened almost in this instance. It's like they're almost 
looking for a suspect, right? I, I, I really dislike all those, those real life things. I love because, them. Cause, I love them. Because genuinely, every time they're like, well, we've got to get people to watch it. So we've got to make it a story that people will be interested in. And that always means you pin it on someone who's not actually convicted. Um, but yeah, the uh, same with this, right? They, they've got to get a story out of COVID. And they've got the they've got the story written before they actually find find the uh, the smoking gun kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the headline for this article could have been "Company that exists gets targeted by <laughs> by hackers by phishing." Yeah, I mean, who knew? It's quite in, it's quite interesting to me. Um, so the BBC News article picked up by Gordon Carrera, who isn't you know he's a like bona fide legitimate well versed in this kind of you know intelli- understanding intelligence understanding the difference between like spin and actual intelligence and it's been picked up by quite a lot of news sources as well but it is like you've been saying pretty thin in terms of it it's basically a phishing campaign targeted at a few people with coronavirus in its title yeah there's nothing there's nothing specific in it yeah for us to is yeah. it yeah it's not even. I mean, it's not even sophisticated. I mean, it's a four one nine scam with the word Corona. <laughs> it could have been every everyone, right? Could have received the same phishing email, and they just went right. This vaccine uses cold storage. So, what, what out of the everyone has been fished? Oh, all of them. Okay, and the cold storage people. You could write something like this. Like, what's the next thing that's going to be in the Corona? Like, I don't know, whatever. Like something Coronary. We'd write some like, loosely linked together threat intel, and then we'll publish it and see how much of the market picks it up do we have our eyes peeled for um vaccine disinformation isn't that the next big thing yeah anti-vax stuff i've been following flat earthers all my life (laughs) that's they give me they give me comedy every day careful mentioning that kev because there's quite a there is a significant i'm not going to say a large proportion but there is a significant proportion of the infosec community who are flat earthers i remember this kicking off what infosec flat earthers you're having a laugh Uh, yeah no really it's sad but it's true they didn't pay attention too much at physics until they got to computing (laughs) (laughs) hang on there there are I, I'm I'm amazed at how much SpaceX have invested in uh, state-of-the-art virtual reality to make it look like they're in space, uh, but yet nobody's managed to give me a good picture of the uh, the Arctic ice circle, which apparently circles the entire globe, but nobody's ever managed to get to and photograph, because somebody's blocking all of the Earth. It's just it's, it's Kev it, just it, had a it, rant. Yeah, yeah, like, we've gone from we've gone from <laughs> corona, potential coronavirus like non-existent potential coronavirus attacks to Kev ranting about flat earthers. I don't know how he got there. I did spot a part of this back onto this IBM thing, um, where under the recommendation to defenders section. IBM Security X-Force stands ready to host the COVID-19 supply chain community on our enterprise intelligence management platform, where they can share threat information and take action on the latest threat intelligence. Woo, colour me surprised. I mean, I don't know if I'd mentioned the fact that they're a commercial enterprise. I think I'd mentioned it. I think I'd mentioned it. <laughs> IBM is a commercial enterprise. But of course, the other problem is that IBM work closely with um, uh, you know, government organizations. You can't you can't use the words nation state without people thinking you mean hackers. But they work with they they work with nation states themselves, right? Goodies, so, goodies, Chris. 
Good, the, sorry, the goodies. goodies. Yeah, goodies. always gets confusing. Never quite sure. Goodies, baddies. Who knows? Um, but the fact that they work with uh, these kinds of organisations, and then what happens is we get an alert, then don't we, from CISA? IBM releases a report on cyber actors targeting the supply that chain. That CISA report is completely irrelevant to everything that they're saying. That CISA report is just a uh, make sure you turn DMARC on your emails um, and use HSTS to call your domains. It's just it's general security hygiene. It's not you're being targeted. It's not here's some like actual IOCs. It's not here is how you protect yourself. This is a this is a handbook for system administrators to turn security on. So so I have a I have a I have a bit of a theory formulating that and I because we have talked about this on quite a few occasions now. I think that CISA is kind of turning into like a, is an attack real or not? bellwether (laughs) so basically when they release an alert and that alert says hey maybe look out for vulnerabilities in this thing or hey have you patched cve whatever whatever basically what they're doing is they're saying look you should (laughs) an attack is happening you really should patch this thing when they release one like this that basically says here is some general woolly security advice it's probably not a real thing (laughs) so kev what you and i should do is we should build a machine an algorithm that can read these alerts <laughs> and spit a traffic light out at the other end that basically says, like, real, not real, FUD, <laughs> IBM, IBM report, um, FUD, I'm all for real, it. not real. I'm all for it. <laughs> I've, uh, I don't know if you've scrolled all the way to the bottom of this article, but there's a webinar tomorrow that you can <gasps> go to, Kev. Oh, sign okay. me up. 11 a.m. Eastern. Sign me up. Okay, I'm registering you now. Kev Breen, I'm doing it. Kev loves a webinar where someone talks about their research whilst at the same time flogging their product. What would your title like to be? Uh, Director of Truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the <laughs> Director of Cyber Truth. I mean, all joking aside, I feel like the Director of Cyber Truth is a pretty legitimate job function. <laughs> it angers me. Like I've been to a couple of these webinars where like something really interesting has happened in the community. It's like we're gonna talk about this. And you get there and the first hour of a ninety minute presentation is them like ingratiating themselves and the last ten minutes is them signing off and saying, Hey, come get the free account. There's very little actual substantive stuff in the middle. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just like disillusioned and maybe i'm going to go and attend this webinar and i'm going to be blown away by the amount of threat intel that ibm are delivering to me maybe you know maybe. what though all joking aside do you know how often cisa actually release these alerts like for, for things that we should watch out for every time ibm tell them <laughs> not that often like the last one was october 30th there was one october 30th there was one december 1st about um, apt groups targeting think tanks but other than that there's not been anything between the end of october and now so basically it's almost like they decided that this is a thing that is important enough to release an, an alert on it to the whole world um and what we're saying is that it seems like all a bit of i think maybe it's because krebs has gone maybe they're lost at sea what's this oh where's kev gone he's, he's bringing bringing a bricked phone what's he got there uh, no, it's an IoT device I have that I'm uh, extracting firmware from because I'm pretty sure I found a vulnerability in it. What does it do? Uh, it's a Nokia. So uh, in 2015, Nokia kickstarted 
this smart device. Basically, you attach it to all or a desk and you knock and it's a smart. This was out before Alexa, before Google even existed. It was the first like truly IoT interactive device. Uh, they got like 13 million in backing um, because they got so many orders. I actually got mine two years late uh, and I already had Google throughout my house by the time it arrived. Speed to market. There you are, speed to market. I finally pulled them out. Uh, they've not been updating the firmware at all on these things. Um, and uh, I dumped the uh, the flash uh, off it the other day uh, and I found some default creds. Uh, and I'm pretty sure there's a vulnerability in the HTTP server. How many of these are actually attached to the internet? Like four? Like you, you've got two and some bloke in California has got two others. They had hundreds of thousands of orders and they're still selling them now. Uh, so there are several thousand of them at least out in the in the world. Okay. Kev, talk me for a day, day in your life that you're like sitting at home, you're thinking, oh, I've watched everything on Netflix. Like I've even finished Cobra Kai season three. Like what, what could I have watched Discovery twice? Like what should I, oh, that knock knock thing that I've got. Knocky, it's called a knocky, oh, you're not no, paying oh, attention. Right, sorry, knock knock, that's a different thing, isn't it? That knocky thing that I've got. Well, I'm going to dump the flash. Like, what's going on in your world? Uh, I'm also building a... Um, I've registered... I don't think you're answering my question. <laughs> oh, well, so uh, you'll see where I'm going. So I've also... I've purchased event logs to IO, and I've just deployed an API where you can query any Windows event log, and it'll give you all the details and a Sigma rule for it. I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> I mean, you, you you paused and like a mic dropped away. Like, like, wow, that's like, amazing. Oh We're God, all like, that's what? Amazing. <laughs> no, none of us get what you're talking about. Maybe Max does, but the rest of us are like, what? That's just a Monday for me or a Thursday. But Kev, that doesn't explain anything. It's just what I do. Although while we're talking about it, how does it work? So you put it on the wall and you knock. I don't understand. Uh, so you attach it to the door uh, or a wall or a desk or like hang it on the back of my door. And then you can program it with a series of knocks. So that was three knocks. Which, oh, it's flashing. It's got a flashing light on it. Um, which triggers uh, anything I want. So I can knock three times, it'll turn the lights on. Knock twice, it'll turn the lights off. Oh, so it's an, it's an if this, then that thing. And it's a little bit like the clapper. You know, the, that's a big in America, the isn't clapper. it? The clapper. You clap it, it turns your, light, turn your lights on. It's a high-tech clapper. Before they realised you could use your voice for things like that. With voice, you have to, like process the voice and you have to do like ai on that this doesn't need any of that um kev i love your technical explanation of how smart assistance works you, you have to use ai in that <laughs> <laughs> but you think it's vulnerable because you found obviously default credentials on it when you took the firmware off it is that right uh yeah so i need to i'm trying to get a clean copy of the firmware to see whether it was just something that was set up when it was first run or whether it actually ships like that uh so i'm going to grab one of the ones and if they match then i know that it's default creds and not something that was configured at, at boot time uh this uh, is two years old now when i turned it on uh and all of the Nokia online services are still running but this didn't update any firmware uh it's still on the original version um so uh, either they're doing like silent over the air updates or they're just not updating it. Um, and there's a, a really weird web service that's running on there. Um, so that's where I'm currently digging into. Let's imagine that this thing were hackable. I mean, what what do you do? do you, were you going to change the number of knocks so that someone can't turn their light on anymore? You're in, you're in very, very, 
You're in very hackers could territory. I, I'm here, not, I'm not like, gonna lie to you. Step tiptoeing around it. Like I'm both feet jumped in hackers could. Like hackers will absolutely never do this. Um but here's what I'm gonna do. This thing detects knocks, which means it must sense vibrations. So oh, I'm God. gonna do some weird research that says like it's going to steal your voice uh just by listening into you. Anti infidelity de- detecting <laughs> device. <laughs> Uh, they sell those as mattresses. What? What? what is going on? Okay, I think we're finished with Noki. Please now let's talk about the anti-adultery mattresses. <laughs> I love the sentence already. Uh, there is a smart mattress which is sold by an Italian company. Kev, Kev, is there nothing? <laughs> is there nothing that you will not just put the word smart in front of? <laughs> And, and also, why are you bothering with the Noki when you could be hacking the bloody anti-adultery mattress? So the the mattress has sensors all over the place, and the the best the best thing the the thing I love the most is it's sold as an adultery device. So it's sold to tell you whether your partner's cheating on you, and the metrics they send you is like they send you like the positions and how long and how much force and how much vigor. It's like I don't need to like if you you're just rubbing salt in the wound here. Like my mattress is currently being used to have sex with somebody. It's definitely not me, uh, and you're telling me exactly how good. They- <laughs> it's it's absolutely brilliant um but yeah it's pitched and sold as an anti-adultery mattress what have you what have you just what have you just enjoyed jumping on the bed while your, your partner's out you know? <laughs> is, just, max is there something you want to tell us <laughs> yeah it's fun no one, never, oh, no one else done that <laughs> the jealous partner will be able to see in real time which parts of the bed are being used lordy this sounds like we talked about this before with smart devices being used to solve crimes didn't we it reminds me a little bit of that very effective use of uh biometrics let's say or in this case biomechanics it's it's called the smartress <laughs> the smartress, smartress which weirdly sounds a bit like mistress M- mistress <laughs> <Doesn't yeah>. <laughs> Um, so, Kev, I was going to ask about both these things then, the Smartress and the Noki. Um, are there sh- are there showdown lists for, you know, vulnerable Nokis and vulnerable Smartresses? Uh, no. So the uh, Noki won't ever. It's a, there should never be a way this connects to the actual internet. Uh, this should just be like you plug it in, you're connected to your Wi-Fi. Um, oh, you called it smart. I was like, it connect. It must connect to the internet then. Uh, well, so it, it. How will it ever, Kev? How will it ever learn anything? It can talk out to the internet, but the internet doesn't really talk to it. Uh, I totally approve any kind of expenses to buy a smartress for vulnerability research purposes. <laughs> yeah. No, I can guarantee you that Pentest Partners already went there. We could probably buy it off them. Uh, £1,200. There are some things you just don't want to put on the internet. A mattress. I mean, do you think yeah. your partner wouldn't notice that you plugged a mattress into the internet? Also, you have to you have to choose that ma- that mattress with your partner, surely. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we do. Like, you choose the mattress together. You don't have one person choose well, it. Neither of you are adulterers, obviously. You need to think about this a bit more. <laughs> Confession: We have a mattress that is different on oh. on uh, different sides. We were looking at that, but we um, we decided to compromise instead. Um, Went for a mattress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're massively off topic now, but I've got the pillow. Uh, it's a temper cool pillow. Uh, Is it smart? Uh, no. Well, there's a. Mu- I'm going to Google for smart pillows. <laughs> you know the cold mats for dogs. 
It's the same. It's the same thing, but a pillow. The Zeke Smart Pillow combines personal audio sounds, sleep tracking, and snoring solution technology for the most soothing restful night's sleep possible. Once snoring reaches your predetermined decibel level, the pillow gently vibrates for you to change sleeping positions. Wow. I love the idea that you could hack one so that it plays different stuff. So you could hack it and then like drip feed someone poison <gasps> while they're sleeping. A subliminal messaging. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, like that message. Friends episode. You are, you are a strong, confident <laughs> woman. <laughs> I'm not seeing anybody do any kind of research on smart pillows, so if you want to buy me one, I will happily uh, see if I can exploit it. Talking of hackers could, that was basically a perfect transition. This story, I am convinced that most of our listeners would think that this story was going to make the very top of the episode. Oh my gosh, they have to be talking about the iPhone Wi-Fi exploit. It's all that's been in the news. It was all over. It had got tons of coverage. Everyone was raving about the research. Um, it looked to me like it could have been quite bad. And it also looked like a rare example where there might have been this thing actually in the wild, although it's been patched now. But we are firmly putting it in Hackers Could territory. And Kev is now going to tell us why we're putting it in hackers could territory first things first it is absolutely a brilliant piece of research and it is absolutely a viable attack vector um now we've got that out of the way is anybody ever going to use this like uh, incredibly unlikely um so what this is um iphones uh, there is a chain of attacks where if you are within Bluetooth range of an iPhone device, and that's your barrier to entry just within Bluetooth range, for a couple of minutes, uh, then with some like off-the-shelf tools like a Raspberry Pi, like a couple of $10 uh, adapters, uh, you can absolutely exploit an iPhone. Um, it took six months of research for the guy to find it. Uh, and develop it and like get it to where it is now and it's a brilliant piece of research like it's a 30,000 word document but it's well worth most of the read um however like uh, and by apple's uh, if you look at uh, the apple development platform they say that 93% of apple devices are running ios 13.5 i think and this was patched all the way back in may apple are really really good at forcing people to patch their firmware uh, and update their devices it's a closed ecosystem isn't it that's why um it's because it's so tightly it's also tightly controlled that that's, that's yeah um it's already patched um and so that's one thing the technical knowledge for somebody to replicate this research assuming it's not just going to get released publicly uh is the second barrier to entry so it's going to be another few months before somebody can go through the same processes uh that he's gone through even though we know where to start looking uh so it's unlikely that somebody's going to be able to replicate this very very quickly uh, and again like your your target um like your your threat surface for this is so small like you can you're going to have to know your target, know what device they're using, know where they're going to be at a specific time so you can go in and set up all of your stuff oh. to be in Bluetooth range so that you can trigger this exploit. I mean, if you can, you've owned the device. The device is functional, you're on there, and you can walk away with it compromised. It's that good, but 
Are you ever going to get there? So it seems like this is why it's a hacker's could, because it's the usual territory, which is this is not a thing that you can do. Like, this is not an internet hack. This is a, another, pro, what I'm, I think I'm going to start terming a proximity hack. Like, you have to be close enough to the device to be able to actually execute the thing and that seems to be a really common theme amongst all these kind of proof of concept threats is that basically they come down to like we can do this really cool type of hacking that gives us you know some amazing end result but actually it's always ends up being a hacker's could because you've got to be within two meters of the device or parked in their drive or camped in their bathroom closet or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it is, like, I don't want to belittle the research. It is really, really well put together and it is a completely viable attack chain uh, and he's put some effort into, like, weaponizing this. It is really, really good. It's just I don't see a, a place where this is going to be a a weapon that attackers reach to uh, anytime soon or if at all you know what was interesting about this i didn't quite it's quite in depth when you read through the uh, project zero blog on it but somebody tweeted like um which is what i saw when i first came across this article which was like uh come for the vulnerability uh, like leave with the kind of google project zero versus apple like argument saltiness <laughs> and I, there's, there is a bit of saltiness in this article does it reference does it actually reference google as opposed to apple in in the um in the writer. No, well, yeah. So it's Google Project Zero who did the writer, and then they've blogged about it, and then there's like a load of saltiness. I've just been reading through this again. Like uh, now, I'm looking at it not from a technical perspective, but from a saltiness perspective, and like it's it's right there. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, an iPhone isn't designed to allow people to build capabilities like this. So what went so wrong that it was possible? Unfortunately, it's the same old story. A fa- uh, same old sorry, a fairly trivial buffer overflow programming error in C code in the kernel passing untrusted data exposed remote attacks in fact this entire exploit uses just a single memory corruption uh vulnerability to compromise the flagship iphone 11 pro device with just this one issue i was able to defeat all of the mitigations in order to remotely gain native code execution and kernel memory read write you started off by saying the research is like oh the research is so good and all this and then suddenly i'm listening to it i'm listening to the way it's written and i'm like oh god the guy is really big in this they up. open with the exact opposite of the argument we've just had they say the takeaway from this project should not be no one will spend 6 months of their life just to hack my phone instead it should be one person working alone in the bedroom was able to build a capability which would allow them to seriously compromise iPhone users. Don't disagree with that at all. I think the problem is, is that after those six months, the outcome is something that is extremely unlikely to be ubiquitously weaponized. And and and, and so therefore that makes it interesting as an exercise, but actually still leaves us in the same place, which is the risk of it being the risk of it being distracting in the context of all the other really bad stuff that's going on um so that's not that's not to belittle the research that's to um that's to identify one of the challenges that we have as an industry which is we like blinky shiny things and so what happens is when you see when we see something like this we give kudos to the research 
which then sort of by osmosis gives kudos to the nature of the hack i, th- I think the type the type of hack it is as well that because it's a proximity hack people just seem to love them more because it because they can imagine spies following down the road yeah. hacking your, spies your, doing your it. iphone yeah so it's so like it's paul always, and thunder spy all over again yeah it's, yeah. it's always the proximity hacks that, that get the the news because it's like oh but someone could like sit next to you in a, in a cafe it's like how many hackers sit next to you in a cafe randomly it's probably probably not many many what this uses i think is connected in some way to the track and trace technology isn't it it was using a bluetooth low energy attack to trigger the wdl the airdrop point to point stuff to turn on uh, at which point then you could use airdrop to exploit the device so like there was a, there's a couple of chains here and like this article is really well written like going down all the way to the like how does wi-fi transmit data and all of that kind of stuff uh, and in fact yeah he's using a bbc micro bit um uh, Kev reaches into his drawer and pulls out a BBC micro bit. Uh, three of them on my Bluetooth hacking stack, uh, which is right there. Um, so I think it, that's where this started for him uh, and led him down that lane rather than it being uh, related to the uh, COVID tracking stuff. Um, but actually, there is enough information in here that somebody would be able to take this and build themselves an implant, like functional in like relatively short order. But like I said, it is patched. Update your firmware. What could go wrong? And on that intriguing bombshell, we must bring things to an end. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at ImmersiveLabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>